If you have your Bibles, open them up to Matthew chapter 14, first book of the New Testament. And uh, as you're opening those Bibles up, let me ask you a question. You can answer this in your own mind for just a second. When you were a child, and for some of that, some of you that goes back further than others of you, when you were a child, what did you want to be when you grew up? Think about that. What did you want to be? Okay, let me ask. I already heard someone say something about a teacher. She wanted to be a kindergarten teacher. How many of you say, yep, I wanted to be a teacher? That, that often is one that people do because they see that in their, um, you know, going through grade school and want to emulate that. How many of you would say that uh, you wanted to be a, a doctor or a nurse? Any of you along those lines? Okay. Okay, some of you in that. How many of you would say something like a uh, fisherman? Fisherman, where did that come from? Uh, fireman, well, uh, we can ask that. Anybody want to be a fisherman? All right, there are some of you. How about a fireman or a policeman? How about a fireman or a policeman? Okay, ha- have some more of those. How about a musician? Any of you want to be a musician when you grow up? Okay, okay. Um, well, anybody have something like really strange that you just want to shout out? What do what, what, you want to be? Really strange. A wild animal trainer. All right. All right. Very cool. Yeah, yeah. Anybody else? Yes. Say it one more time. Traveling with the Clydesdale team. Nice. That would have been fun. That would have been fun. Yeah. All right. All right. Um, uh, Ava, who played the, the violin last week, she came down after the 8 o'clock service and she said she wanted to be a nun. Now, this was not either or, but this was both at the same time. She wanted to be a nun and a ballerina. She did not know how that would work, but, but she wanted to do that. So did any of you ever say, you know, it would have been really cool to be one of the 12 disciples? Yeah, probably. Uh, got a few. Got a few. Yeah, yeah. Um, their lives didn't end so well as far as on this earth, so that maybe that's why a lot of us didn't want to be that way. All of them were martyred except for one, and yet... Um, their eternal uh, place in heaven is secure, and that is a blessing. But when they were here on earth, they never experienced a dull moment, did they? I mean, you think about the storm that we talked about last week, the 20-foot waves, and how Jesus calmed those and seeing those types of things. You think about the miracles and the healings that Jesus did. It was never a dull moment. And so if you want to, again, open up your Bibles to Matthew chapter 14, we're going to see that today, that there is a lot of exciting things going on around the life of Jesus. And so... Um, As we enter into this passage, starting in verse 22, I just want to kind of point out that Jesus has just finished feeding 5,000 people, and he's fed them with the five loaves and the two fish, and then in verse 22, it says, immediately Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. Now, my mind naturally said, why would Jesus do it like that? Why didn't he want the disciples there to mingle with the crowds and such? I happen to believe it was because Jesus didn't want them to be swayed by public opinion. 
He didn't want them to be hanging out with the crowds and talk with them and hear that, okay, Jesus is like this rock star status, right? He's like got it going on. I mean, I can just imagine as disciples were rowing the boat across the lake, they're like, man, that was so cool. Jesus, you are the man. Look at what you did. We'll have food for days. You just take that fish, those loaves, you just multiply it. I mean, they probably threw him into this category of, wow, that is so, so cool, Jesus. And Jesus didn't want that word getting out with everybody and the disciples swayed with that. So he puts them in a boat, sends them off to the other side while he hangs out and dismisses the crowds. Verse 23, after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up to the mountain by himself to pray. Now you trace the life of Jesus and you'll see that many, many times after a major miracle or before a time of that he knew he was entering into, be it a temptation or a crucifixion or such, he took time to pray. And so Jesus has just, you know, kind of been on a mountaintop experience with feeding the 5,000. And so he knew he needed to go off and pray. When evening came, he was there alone. But the boat by this time was a long way from the land, beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. And then the fourth night, or or watch, would have put it about between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m. in the morning. Fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, it's a ghost. And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them saying, take heart. It is I. Do not be afraid. And Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. And he said, come. So Peter got out of the boat, walked on the water, and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. And Jesus immediately reached out his hand, took hold of him, saying to him, O you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased, and those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are, you are the Son of God. If you have your outline, we're going to look at some things today through the eyes of Peter and looking at his personality and how he kind of uh, operated dealing with difficulties or storms in his life because he really was the unspoken kind of leader of the disciples Uh, He's also, I I think, kind of the most human of the disciples that we see there in Scripture, the one that many of us can identify most. Sometimes he is like a big kid saying things before he realizes what he says. He's the one who jumped up, says, oh, 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 let me walk, let me walk, let me walk on the water. He's the one that says, I will never deny you. I am going to death with you, Jesus. And then, well, maybe not that far, but I'll chop off someone's ear. I'll do that. I'm there, Jesus. I am there for you. I'll go. He kind of has this, this this foot-shaped mouth, right? Because he keeps sticking his mouth, his foot in his mouth. It happens over and over and over again. And so Peter has this definite pattern of dealing with difficulties or storms. You see that on your outline. Let me give you the first thing that he often does. And that is a sense of fear. There's a sense of fear that comes in when he's dealing with these life situations that come his way. In fact, verse 25 and 26, again, let me read it 
says, about the fourth uh, watch of the night, he came to him, Jesus came out on the sea, walking on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, it's a ghost. And they cried out in fear. Now, I am not sure how much Jesus did this walking on the water. I mean, we don't know. We see it recorded in a number of the scriptures. We only, we kind of imagine that it only happened once. But I wonder if Jesus ever just did it just for the fun of it. I mean, really, think about that. In fact, look at what Mark says. Wouldn't that not be cool, by the way? Wouldn't it be cool to kind of walk on the water? Look at what Mark says in Mark chapter 6. Same story, same wording. About the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea, and he meant to pass them by. What is that, right? I mean, it's just like out strolling, and he's like, hey, this is cool. And then they're like, hey, Jesus. And he's like, oh, I was on my way over here, but okay, I guess I'll come over and talk with you guys. I mean, is that not kind of what it was getting at, right? I mean, what is Jesus doing there? He, he's, he, I, I mean, it's just so casual. He's out there walking on the sea. And you can just picture now all the disciples, they are sleeping in the boat, 6 a, or 3 a.m., 4 a.m., 5 a.m. I'll put it about, oh, dark 30, somewhere in there, right? 4.30, let's say. And all of a sudden, they're awakened. And instead of saying, oh, that's, that's Jesus, they jump to this conclusion. It's a ghost. Now, Jewish superstition said that if there was an um, appearance of a spirit at night, that it would bring disaster upon you. And so I'm sure the disciples were aware of kind of this superstition. And so kind of, you know, think water spirit. They were thinking the water spirit was coming out their way. They jumped to that conclusion, which, by the way, let's put this into our lives. I mean, don't we do that as well, right? I mean, often the fear of what could be is really more frightening than what really is, right? That the perception of the projections can be more unsettling than what is really going on this week when something comes up. Don't just jump to the worst. Don't just say, ah, it's a ghost. It may be God working right in the middle of whatever is going on. And so we see in verse 26 where it says, and they cried out in fear. Think about maybe something that you're going through this week. Maybe, maybe it's something from your past. Maybe you've got some baggage and you know it, or maybe you've got some stuff, some scars in your life, and they're kind of, kind of being picked off or picked over. Maybe your baggage has got baggage, you would even say, okay? Maybe you are, maybe you are fearful of committing in a relationship and that's hard to do. Maybe you're fearful of something's going to come out of the closet that you stuck in, some skeletons in the closet at the wrong time. And so you're just, you're just kind of afraid of things in your past. Maybe it's something in the present. Maybe it's something going on right now. Maybe a situation in your marriage, maybe in a dating relationship that you're in. Maybe it's something with a health concern that you have or finances or something with your work or your, or your career or that's that. Maybe your schooling. Maybe it's something that you're dealing with right now. Or maybe it's a little bit of fear of the future. Maybe there's kind of this, this anxiety or this, this thought that things are so uncertain. We don't know what the next few years hold. You know, this last week here in Stockton the, with the bankruptcy uh, hearing and the court ruling and, and, and that did not, you know, get determined yet, but people were kind of up in arms. What's going to happen? What's going to happen? Could affect a lot of people, a lot of people's pensions who'd worked for the city for a number of years. And there can just be kind of some uncertainty, some worry and some fear. Can I remind you? We do not know what the future holds, but we know what? 
we know who holds the future, right? And whatever you are dealing with, whatever you are going through, whatever you are worried about, past, present, or future, God is there. He was there in the past. He's here in the present. He is already in the future. He sees how it turns out. So give that to him. Focus back upon him. Don't just step out in fear. Peter forgot that. Peter steps out in fear. But let me remind you what then happens when they experience his present fear. And look at what Jesus says in verse 27. It says, But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Take heart, it is I. Do not be what? Do not be afraid. And so here comes the pattern. All right, it starts out with a sense of fear. Next fill-ins on your outline there is now Peter is told to have courage. He's told to have courage, which leads to a focus on Jesus. The focus on Jesus brings that courage into his life. The courage keeps his eyes focused on Jesus. Jesus says, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Have you forgotten that whatever you are going through, God knows about it. He's in control of it. He is bigger than whatever it is. And he is waiting for you to trust him in whatever it is. You need to ask yourself the question this week. Am I trusting him with what I have? Dealing with past things, present things, future things. You know, next week as we're going through the storm series, we're going to talk a little bit about um, persecuted church. Uh, that's a storm that is going on for many around the world. We've gotten many reports, even more so in these last few months, of things in Iran, Afghanistan, ISIS, um, persecuting Christians, making them flee from their cities and such. You know, that has gone on for, for centuries. Well, ever since Christians have been Christians, it's gone on. But boy, it's become predominant really here in the, in the immediate future and in the news. Um, but uh, one of the stories that's in this book, and again, Pastor Scott said they're out in the uh, Welcome Center, was by a couple in our church by the name of Daniel and Cindy Ong. And uh, I'm not going to read all of their story, but they came from Cambodia at a time when the Cambodian government was overthrown. It was in 1975. So we remember hearing about this. It said that led to an extremely radical program of evacuating cities, closing schools and factories, forcing people to go onto collective farms. And then systematically, intellectuals and skilled workers were killed, including Daniel Ong's parents. There was some 1.5 million people killed. Uh, there was a movie made about it, The Killing Fields. Um, some of you probably, again, remember it in the news stories of what was taking place there in 1975, the mid-70s. They said, Daniel and Cindy, this is written up in the book, believed that their family had a better chance of survival in Thailand. So Daniel and Cindy, who was now six months pregnant, along with Cindy's mother, two of Cindy's sisters, three of her brothers, and two of Daniel's sisters, began a harrowing journey that would take them to a refugee camp in Thailand from 1979 to 1981, and eventually then bring them here to the United States. And eventually, as the story goes, bring them in touch with some Christians here at First Baptist Church. And over the course of time, they came in, accepted the Lord, became a part of our family. And again, you can read the story up in the book, but let me just read to you some of their summaries of this. They said, as they look back over their lives thus far, Daniel and Cindy are truly in awe at the way God has protected them, guided them, and blessed them in so many amazing ways. 
They know most assuredly that God has always had a plan for them, even when they did not know what that plan was. Going back to the darkest days of Cambodia and following their journey through Thailand and eventually to Stockton, Daniel and Cindy can trace God's fingerprints on their lives and their circumstances. Not many of us will ever experience the trials that they have encountered. However, we all can share their experiences of trust in a loving God who will and always can be faithful. Now, I don't know what you're going through this week. I mean, many times when we look at other people's situations, our situations pale in comparison. I think about some of the maybe uncomfortable things I may be going through or things, you know, in my life. And I think, wow, if I was a Christian in another part of the world, what kind of persecution would come upon me? Or even politically, what kind of things have happened in people's lives that have brought us to a place where fear has entered in. But then Jesus comes and he says, no, now take courage. Whatever situation you are in, take courage focus and focus on me. Now, this sets up in the story a a classic situation because look what happens here when Jesus um, says, take heart, it's me, don't be afraid. And in verse 28, Peter answers him, Lord, if it's you, then you command me to come out onto the water. Now, is, is, is Peter not challenging Jesus here a little bit? I mean, if it's you, if it's really you, liar, if it's really you, make me come out there, right? I mean, it's almost like Peter, remember Peter? Peter, okay, kind of, kind of bravado, kind of like, hey, disciples, watch this one. Hey, if it's you, you make me come out there. And what does Jesus say? Come. It's like, it's like you know, all chips are pushed in, right? The great poker match. Hey, if it's really you, make me come. And Jesus says, I will see you those chips, and I will see you two feet on this lake. Let's go, buddy. Come on. It's me. Come. Come. And Peter just does the Jesus thing. So Peter got out of the boat, verse 29, and walked on the water, and he came to Jesus. Can you think of a time in your life when um, you were challenged to get out of your boat when you were challenged to get out of your comfort zone, when you're challenged to do something for God that maybe was beyond you, we've seen some of that already happening with the storm series that we're in. Um, you know, we kind of led into the storm series with Back to Church Sunday that came a couple of weeks ago. Three weeks ago, the week before Back to Church Sunday, we put postcards in your bulletins and we encouraged you. We said, hey, would you invite someone to come? Family member, friend, work associate, whatever it may be. Just invite somebody to come. I had no idea one couple who, where they went with that thought. They talked to me at the back of the service on that day, the week before Back to Church Sunday. And he said, Pastor, 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 my wife and I, we're going to bring 50 people next week. <laughs> my first thought was like, wow, right? My second thought was, and who has 50 friends that they can invite like that to come? And then, and then, oh, me of little faith, my third thought was, yeah, I'll believe it when I see it. <laughs> really? That next Sunday, all 50 plus came here to our services. They were in the 11 o'clock service. They were in the back four rows. They were kicking people out left and right because they all wanted to sit together. <laughs> and I went through and I introduced myself to every one of those people who came. 
I mean, look at, the, look at the challenge that we put out there, and they just put that thing on steroids. Absolutely, we'll do it. We'll take you up on that. You say, come, we'll come. Let's walk. Let's walk on the water. In fact, more of them came this week. The friends, I saw them coming up the stairs here today. They said, we got more friends who are coming this week. We met them out at the barbecue. They were saying, we loved it here. We'll be back. I called them on the phone that week. We'll be back. So much fun to see. A people who took the challenge said, yeah, we'll do that. We'll follow that. Many of you are doing that right now, even in your homes. We have a, um, a couple here, Mark and Lori Brown, who've been a part of this church for many, many, many years. They've been a part of the New Beginning Sunday School class. They, um, New Beginning Sunday School class, decided, well, church is doing the, the study on Stormwatch. We'll get into homes. We'll do that. So Mark and Valerie Turner opened up their home, just like they did last year with the Not A Fan. Mark and Lori were f- away for a few weeks, came back to discover that that group was full said, sorry, we can't take anymore. So, they got a little bit of bad attitude. Just a little bit, Mark told me. They thought, all right, we just won't do anything. That's fine. We'll leave it that way. He was telling me this in our prayer time that we had this last Tuesday. And then the Spirit just kind of just pricked his heart and said, Mark, don't you have a home? Mark, don't you have friends? And within one day, Mark told me, Mark and Lori talked about this. They prayed about it. Within one day, they put in a few phone calls and they had gotten 10 other people, some who don't even go to church, to come to their home to be a part of a Bible study in the midst of their home. There's someone again. Wow, well, I'll just stay in the boat. Yeah, I'll kind of keep it my side. Ah, we won't do it. If they don't have room for us, we won't come. Got out and said, let's do it. In fact, the small group that my wife and I help lead. We've broken up into three groups as we're going through this study. Instead of just having 10 to 12 to 14 people in our home, now we have 10 or 12 people in each, home, in each of the homes that multiplied to 36 to 40 people now in different homes. It's because people were willing to step out of the boat. People were willing to say, yes, we'll open up our home. And those of you who are hosting, those of you who are even leading groups, those of you who are in those groups, you are seeing the kingdom of God come onto a couch. And there is something special that happens when those relationships begin to be built. We do that here. We do that corporately. And this is a valuable thing to have. It is valuable to come to Sunday school classes or Wednesday night. But there is a whole other level that happens when it happens in homes as well. And we get to meet each other on a different level. We get to challenge each other on a different level. We get to see God moving us and directing us in different ways. And so we're thrilled as your staff that you're stepping out and taking up that challenge to go and make disciples and being literal about it, to go and invite and being literal about it. I don't want to just invite one or two. I'll invite 50. I'll invite over 50. Can you imagine what transformation we would have at this church and in this city if each of us got serious about that? Fear probably strikes us, doesn't it? No way, I can't do that. Or even some of you are saying, they're going to sit in my seats. Huh? You're thinking that, right? This is my seat. This is mine. It's not, is it? Your name's not on it unless you snuck in here earlier and wrote it on the underside. And if you did, you show me it. I'll let you sit there. And then we'll talk later about that, okay? Yeah, yeah. Fear. It strikes fear in us, doesn't it? Jesus says, take courage. Take courage. Focus on me. Now watch this. Look where this goes. End of verse 29 and 30. It says, So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Here's the next step of Peter's patterns. He deals with storms and things in his life. It's a step of forgetting which leads to then more fear. 
forgetting, which leads to more fear. I don't know about you, but this is probably the place when I am most like Peter. I get a little success. I take up the challenge. I start walking on the water. Things are going well, but then I forget with what is important. Or I forget that it's not in my power, but it's in God's power. And then look what happens there in verse 31a. But immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and took hold of Peter as he was sinking, saying, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? Now look at this, but immediately... Jesus immediately reached out his hand. How far away did Jesus have to be from Peter to just reach out his hand? Right? He was not plasman, super roboto, kind of, you know, across the lake 20 feet, right? He didn't do that. Peter was right there. He was right there in front of him. And he took his eyes off him. And he looked a different way. And look what Jesus says to him. Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt You know, Jesus repeats that phrase a number of different times in the New Testament. I I thought about that this week. That kind of scares me. When I get to heaven, I'm hoping that Jesus will say, well done, good and faithful servant. In fact, I'm banking on that. But how many times is he up there until that point when I get to heaven when he is saying, oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? Why did you doubt? I doubted when someone said they'd bring 50 friends. Yes, I did. I'll admit that. Why did you doubt? Why do we doubt that someone wouldn't want to come with us? Why do we doubt when we share our faith that someone would want to hear that? Why do we doubt? But we do because we're like Peter. We forget. We forget where our source comes from. We forget what we keep our eyes upon. And we forget. Peter makes it the whole distance across. I don't know how far he went. But when things got easy, he got distracted. It was almost like he took it for granted. When it got easy, he got distracted. And let me ask you that question. What is your biggest distraction from focusing on Jesus? Where's a place in your life where maybe you have not kept your eyes focused on him? I'll tell you one that, that um, we'll be talking more about in the new year, but... Uh, Kind of this first year that I've been your senior pastor, I haven't looked a lot at um, the future and the debt that we have here at the church. To be honest, it's been a little, okay, let's, let's just kind of let that go. And I think you guys have given me a pass on that, right? First year, we'll, we'll kind of let them go that. But now I'm feeling it's more my responsibility to look at that and take that on. If you, you were back here in 2001 at this church, uh, I, I was, uh, along with Pastor Jim, kind of the chair people for the campaign to raise the funds for that building that went up. 2001, that building was not here. 2003, 2004 is when it was built from all of your generosity, From you going over and above in your finances and your tithing and your giving, over and above to pay for that building. However, that building is not paid off. And many of you might not know that. And so it's part of my duty to to bring that awareness to say we still have about a three and a half million dollar debt on that building as well as the ministry center that we're kind of putting together. But we need to be aware of that. And not to look at that with a sense of fear, but to look at that with a sense of, okay, God, how are you going to bring that about? What are you going to do to, to make that a part of what we all take responsibility for? And that can be fearful. We can look at that in a big way, or we can simply say, yes, I want to give to that. And so, you know, again, I'll, I'll share more about this in the upcoming year. But even now, some of you have continued to give every year and every month 
until even today from back in 2001. My wife and I have done that. We have constantly continued to give to paying down that debt. And so I just want to bring that awareness to you that if you wanted to give over and above towards that, um, that is something that we all as a family want to come together on and say, let's take responsibility and let's make that happen. I know that's not a lot of fun because we're not doing building projects and making that happen, but it's a part of the health of this church and going forward. Can you imagine if we would have the money that we spend on the debt and that, if we can use that more for ministry here in the future or here in the present and in the future? Again, we'll be talking about that, but just pray. I brought it up for the first time here that that is there and that God's asking us to take a step on that. We can't forget that we stepped out in faith. Now we can't come to a place of saying, oh, you have little faith because he owns it all. He's just asking us to bring it to him in the right places in the right timing. And so as you look here, you look at uh, Peter, walks through with a sense of fear. He goes to courage, and then he keeps his focus on Jesus. Then he forgets, starts to sink, more fear comes in. Let me give you now the last kind of pattern that Peter went through, and that's this. A sense of faithless, being faithless, to now having faith. Faithless, maybe you call it faithful. Verse 31. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand, took hold of Peter, saying, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. And those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. Here are these disciples, kind of these chickens in a boat, now seeing the situation for what it is now worshiping God in all of his fullness in the form of Jesus right there in that boat, being faithless to now having faith, faithless to being faithful. And notice, Scripture does not say that um, some of them in the boat worshiped him. They weren't split on this one. It wasn't like, nope, I don't think you're really Jesus. Nope, I think you're still a ghost. You're still a spirit. Get out of the boat. No, they, they all were in unison. It wasn't half one way, half the other way. They were all in unison now together. Why? Let me explain something interesting. There was a study that was done. It's actually still going on. Um, the single most ambitious health project study in the history of America is called the Framingham Project. It's based out of Framingham, New York, and every year since 1948, every single residence has been a part of this report. Every single resident in Framingham goes to get a complete physical, and the doctors have been charting this for the last 60 years, and what they have discovered has been amazing to them. Absolutely nobody was looking for this, what they've discovered. No researchers were expecting it, but what they have found as they are putting it is that Everything is contagious. Everything is contagious. Now, some of you germophobes are saying, see, I told you we shouldn't come to church today, right? No, (laughs) not necessarily what I'm getting at. They don't mean in the area of disease. Here's what they mean. Here are some examples from the study. They noted, if your friends are overweight, you will be too. Some of you are probably weeping right now, like, oh, no, no, wait, listen to this next step. If your friends decide to lose weight, you will too. If your friends decide to stop smoking, you will too. And they noticed everything was like this. They said even happiness is contagious. In fact, if your friends decide to have a positive outlook on life, you will too. 
If your buddies treat their wives better, you will too. If your pastor likes the Dodgers, you will too. See how that works? See how that works? All right. Okay. All right. All right. All right. Just slipping it. Just saying. Just making sure you're aware of this. Okay. Eek. Eek. All right. But the author said this was the most important step that you can take in your life. This will influence everything from your weight to your lifespan, to your happiness level, to your friends that you have, to getting good friends, to being a good friends. Now, there are other factors, but there was no single factor close that, that influenced it this much. No other single factor comes close as being this important that everything is contagious. In fact, say that with me. Everything is contagious. This means gatherings like this are important. It's contagious. Getting into church is contagious. Being a part of a small group, it becomes contagious. Here's the question. If everything is contagious in your life, what are you spreading You're spreading fear. You're spreading courage. Are you spreading, you know, having little faith, doubting? Are you spreading great faith? What are you spreading? See, the reason we're studying the book of Philippians in this Stormwatch series is because we're studying from someone who was in prison when he wrote what he did. And while he was in prison, he spread good news. In fact, in that dank, dark cell, he is still saying, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say what? Rejoice. He's saying, let it be contagious to you. Celebrate that. Rejoice, even in your storms, even in your trials. But you know, many times we need people around us to help us do that, to lift us up. I pray that you do not soar with turkeys, right? They they don't get very far off the ground. That you would fly with the eagles, The eagles look to go. Surround yourself with those kind of people. It's interesting because on the night when Jesus entered his biggest storm of his life, he knew the importance of surrounding himself with community, of surrounding himself with a small group of sorts. Twelve guys, disciples. And I don't doubt that he recalled how they all worshipped in this boat on this night. When he chose them to focus on God. When he said, you know what? They got it. These are my friends. These are the people who need to walk with me on this tough, tough night. And even though they all kind of ran in fear, I think the disciples looked back on that night and said, okay, we failed him, but we got the message. And I'll tell you why. Because on that night before Jesus went to the cross, he took some time to share again who he was. And he took some time to share his purpose. He took some time to model servant leadership when he got down and washed their feet. And then he shared a symbolic meal with them that we still share today. And so we're entering now that time around this table. And the passage says out of Matthew 26, now as they were eating... Jesus took bread. After blessing it, he broke it and gave it to his disciples and said, take and eat. This is my body. And he took a cup. And when he had given thanks, he gave it to them saying, drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many 
for the forgiveness of sins. Yeah, his disciples got it because we still get it today. And we get to enter around a table time as well if we've called Jesus Lord and Savior. You know, today we're doing it just a little bit differently. In the trays that you are going to be passed, there will be two cups that you will grab. They're stacked together. The bottom one has the wafer or the cracker in it, and then the top one has the juice or the symbol of the blood of Christ in it. So just make sure that you pull up both of those uh, elements, those cups, and then um, if you want to separate them, maybe just a little twist will help you kind of separate it. You can hold them in your hand or you can hold them together. It doesn't, doesn't matter. But together then we will come back together as you take some moments before holding the cup, looking at the elements, and um, pausing, reflecting, reflecting on your life and maybe some areas that you don't have measured up to God. None of us do. That's where God's grace comes in. That's where his forgiveness comes in. But just inspecting. So hold those elements. Pray, contemplate. And then when we come back together, we will celebrate it. As we come to this table, you do not need to be a member of the church. You don't have to be a Baptist. This is not a Baptist or a a Pentecostal or Presbyterian type of table. This is simply for those who are in the family of God. And we say we love Jesus. In fact, some of you here today may not feel as though you're in that family. We'll talk about that when we pray here because I want to make sure you have an opportunity to come to this table as well. Everybody's invited, but to partake, you do need to have accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. Many of you have done that, but if you haven't, let's all pray together that today will be a day that you do. Would you pray with me? God, as we come to this time of uh, the Last Supper, communion, the Lord's Supper, we come in reverence. We come in a spirit of remembering, not of uh, forgetting, but of remembering what you have done for us. And for those of us who have accepted you as Lord and Savior, it's a time of remembering what the disciples did so long ago as you pass the element of bread and as you pass the cup and remembering that this is your body that was broken, that was torn, that was split open as you were beaten and whipped and then crucified on a cross. This is symbolic of your blood that was shed, that was given, freely given for us. And so, Lord, we hold that highly, high esteem of what you did for us. We do not take this lightly. Lord, forgive us if we've come in a hectic pace. Forgive us if we've come and not having a heart of surrender to you now. And so, Lord, even now we line up the spirit of worship as we worship you. Folks, I know there's also many of you in here who um, you're not quite sure if you have a faith. You're not quite sure if you've accepted Jesus in your to your life. And I would say if you have any element of doubt, then let's take care of that today. The way you do that is seeing how the disciples saw Jesus, of knowing that he was God's son. Truly, he is the one sent to take away our sin in the world. And it's a place of remembering that Jesus went to the cross to die for us, that Jesus uh, became our sin substitute or sacrifice, and that by asking him into our lives, we ask for forgiveness of our sin 
and we turn our lives around to follow him. That's what repentance means, to make a U-turn to follow him. And so today, by faith, if you're ready to do that, simply in your heart, pray now, Jesus, today I accept you as Lord and Savior. I ask you in. And if you have done that right now, then we ask you to participate in this because you know the element of what this means. In fact, if you have done that right now, there are angels in heaven, Scripture says, that are rejoicing that you have come home. That's what you're made for. You were made to be a part of the family. You were made to be one of God's children. And so today, if you're choosing to accept him as Lord and Savior. We also have some information for you out in the Welcome Center. I'd be honored to get to pray with you after this service or the friend who brought you. We want to help you get connected and take some steps. But your first step today is to join in with literally hundreds across this auditorium and now knowing the significance of what these elements mean. Jesus, thank you for going to the cross for us. We do this to remember you. For it's in your name we pray. Amen.